Welcome back to Rowdy Southern Saturday. We have just one week left until week zero of the 2023 college football season. We've got a couple of our preseason predictions left to go. We've got Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU this episode, and next episode later this week, we will finish it off with Alabama and Georgia. Now, before we get into the episode today, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, Usually, we try to stay away from controversy so Chad doesn't get us canceled or something like that. So this week, I thought I'd throw a little bit of controversy in there on purpose. Uh, You guys already talked about some of these, you know, off the podcast a little bit, but I thought I'd just bring them in for a little bit of discussion. So I've got a couple of controversial topics here, and I'd like you guys to give your take, just a brief little take on each one of these. The first one is one that we talked about recently. Grown men should not wear jerseys. Well, first and foremost... Let me defend myself by saying I've never said anything on this podcast to get us canceled. Nothing that's but, made the show, at least. That's for sure. <laughs> nothing that's made the show. If you read the group chat, then you could probably cancel all of us. Jeez. But <laughs> <laughs> Should grown men wear jerseys? I personally don't have a problem with it. Um, I actually just bought a jersey last week. Spent 90 bucks. Um, I don't mind it. I mean, my only my big thing is is I don't like people who walk around like in the old, you used to see people wear like the old NASCAR jackets and stuff like that. But you know, they didn't watch NASCAR. You see somebody walking around with like like a Braves Jersey, but like they don't watch baseball. That's what bothers me. If you're not an actual fan of that sport or team, please don't wear a Jersey. But if you're a grown man, it's perfectly fine to wear a Jersey. If you love your team. I think the main counter to the controversy is that, it's grown men wearing like college athletes' names, like college men's names on the back of their shirt. And that's where people are like, they shouldn't do that. I, I personally don't care. It, you know what? You know what I think? If I can put my entire self worth in watching 18 to 22 year olds play a child's game every Saturday in the fall, then by God, I can wear their freaking jersey. Okay. And nobody can say anything about it. All right, especially on a Saturday when I'm putting myself worth and them winning that game. Now, if it's a Tuesday and you're walking around Walmart, it might be a little weird. Okay, I I think that there has to be a there has to be a time appropriate you know asterisk here. Like if it's a Tuesday in the spring and I was walking around in a uh you know I'm trying to think Stetson Bennett, your favorite player. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who my favorite player is on the active roster currently. I haven't really decided that yet. We'll we'll figure that week two. Um, and and you know what? I'll bring that up in discussion on week two. I'll say I've officially decided it. My favorite player is insert name here. But just for the sake of conversation, I buy a Jalen Milrow jersey. All right, and he he's the starting quarterback at Alabama this year, and he balls out week one. He becomes my favorite player week two. Uh, if I'm wearing a Jalen Milrow jersey in March during spring training on a Wednesday, it's weird. Otherwise, it's not. And then baseball jerseys are generally fine all the time. Basketball jerseys, like NBA throwback jerseys, always an okay. I think it's all context. I'm with Matt. If I like, if I were to wear like a Georgia jersey to work, that'd be weird. If I wore it to like, like if I was in college to a college class, that'd be weird. In, even if it's the school you go to, if you're wearing a jersey and you don't play football at that school, it's kind of weird just to show up. Unless it's like a game day. And you're just game ready. And it's like, 
like a Thursday game at 6 p.m. You got to get to the game at 7. You get out of class at 6.45. You got vodka and your Yeti and you're just sitting there drinking it in class because you know you got a pregame before you get to the game. Then you're good. But no, Matt's right. You can't walk around Walmart on a Wednesday just to go shopping in your college football jersey, baseball jersey, whatever it is. At the beach, baseball jerseys, absolutely. You got to wear baseball jerseys at the beach. I wore them when I went to the beach the other week. Super comfortable. You can kind of unbutton them, you know, let the wind flow through your chest hair. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Football jersey might be kind of weird. But so besides wit, that. So, wit, for the record, just let me ask straight up. You have never worn your Georgia jersey out of season during a weekday while you were walking around said grocery store somewhere. Huh. You've never, you've never How done old it. am I? How old am I in this scenario? You are above the age of 18. You're an adult. Nope. Legally. Have not done it. On a, on a game day? Per, yes. Absolutely. On like a Saturday where I got the jersey on, I'm ready for, for the games to start. It's already 9 a.m. Eastern time. It's 2007. Fifth grade wit has his oh, yeah. Stafford jersey on. They're going <laughs> Every to single day. I had, I had Stafford. I had no Sean Marino. I had, I had all the favorites. So, uh, yeah. Elementary school, you can wear it every day if you want to. Middle school, you know, every day. I just feel like it's like I think the one jersey whenever this question comes up that I always think of is the random person that is walking around Walmart on a Wednesday in a starter Dallas Cowboys jersey. <laughs> the starter jersey. With the starter. with the double zero and it's like three sizes too big. It's and they're like and and then they start talking about the Cowboys like they're in, still in the glory days. That's whenever there's a problem. You can't wear that jersey, you know. It's it, it's weird. I think NFL feels a little bit weird unless you're going to the game. All right, so the second controversial topic I've got, watching a game at home is significantly better than the at-stadium experience. And I'll say the way I take this is the experience of watching the game is better than at the stadium. So, ooh. It's different. It's difficult. All right, all right I'm going to throw this out here first, first thing. It depends on the team, and it depends on who they're playing. Because yes. a Vanderbilt... Yes. Vanderbilt versus Mississippi State, the game I went to, that was $1 with $4 fees, so I had to pay $5 to go to this game, would have been way better sitting at home. It was 31-3 to at halftime when I left the game. It was terrible. There was nobody there. There was no atmosphere whatsoever. I only went in the stadium to say I've been to Vanderbilt Stadium for a game, and I checked it off the bucket list. And it's off. I'll never go back. So... So... See, Matt, Matt knows what I'm getting at here. Here's here's where I struggle because whenever I lump in going to a game, you have to include tailgating. Yes. So when you add in tailgating, I'm honestly I'll I'll catch the highlights of Andy Mississippi State. It doesn't really matter to me. Okay, but you gotta you gotta include grilling out and drinking at the house when you're watching it at the house. Good old game of slosh ball in the backyard. You know, like think about how you watch a game at home. I got I mean, three when TVs I watch going. Game at home, I, I do it upright. It's, that's like, what I'm I saying. Watch game, and and Wit and Chad have experienced not on a Saturday game day, but like scope of what goes on at my house on Saturdays. It, I, I kind of go overboard on it for it to be just me and my immediate family generally, but it's what I love to do. I whew, I'm gonna go. It depends on the game, but normally like. I don't even like going to big games that much, like to the game, because if it all goes wrong for me, I don't want to be sad in a stadium. I want to be sad at home because I can just go to bed. 
<laughs> wake up in the morning with a bad headache. Or watch Hawaii at 11 p.m. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I agree with Matt and Keith. I think the overall I think the overall experience of the game has a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, for me, like, just I'm a Florida fan. So, like, I look forward to my trip to Gainesville every year. I get excited for that game. It's different being in the stadium, I think, when it's your team. Like, I mean, even when we were at Georgia Southern App State last year, like, that was a great atmosphere to be a part of. And, like, even though we're not – we weren't in college anymore at the time, like, it was still – very fun. And it was really cool to say that we were there and it was a different experience because of how that game was and the atmosphere that was in Boston that night. But kind of look at it from the perspective of like, I would rather watch a game on TV if it's just like a normal game, you know, like, cause you know, Wit and I, and I'm sure Matt does the same thing. Anytime we've watched college football together, you know, we got two, three, sometimes four TVs running with the games that day and the what's, you know, the best three or four games in that time slot. And if we're at like a time slot at like, if we're the noon time slot, there's not like a real big third game going on and we just have the TV on. Like if you're talking about that game specifically, like if Purdue and Indiana are in a tight game in the noon slot and it just happens to be on ESPN two and there's nothing else better to watch. Yeah, I would rather watch that game on TV. I have no desire to be sitting in Bloomington, Indiana, freezing freezing my butt off. If you're talking about big-time atmospheres, to say that like I was at a Penn State whiteout or to say that I was at you know Georgia, Florida's first home-and-home of that series or Alabama, you know, Auburn in the Iron Bowl, something like that, like, yeah, I think I would rather be there because you can't replace the atmosphere and the tailgate and everything that goes into the experience itself. Right. Yeah, the atmosphere, you want to be there, you want to experience it, you want to say you were there. But the at-home viewing experience of your living room TV and the comfort of your home, all the angles, the instant replay, the close-ups, you can't get that from the 400s level at Sanford Stadium. So I want to simplify this question to make it easier for like a yes or no, because I feel like all of us are saying the same thing. The watching. There's no real answer. Okay, so think to last season, the biggest home game your team had last year or Chad back when Florida was good. So like 10 years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, let's say like, like Florida, Alabama, you were at that game back in, what was that? 20, was it 2018 or 2019? It was 20, or no, 2020. 2021, 2021. Yeah. 21. That was, that's probably the biggest game that was at, or not. Let's say Utah last year. That was a big game at the swamp. Um, so biggest game your team had last year. And would you rather watch that game in the stadium, do the tailgating experience, sit in a good seat and see the game? Or would you rather be at home grilling out, drinking beers, and watch it just that game. No other games on the TV. No multicam. Just, no multicam. Just that game. You're watching that game. And that's it. I'm going to go in home. And I think a lot of people would agree with me because COVID suggested that season ticket sales went down. Post COVID, more people have gone away from buying season tickets and gone to the in home experience. Because again, I don't have to worry about traffic. I don't have to worry about paying for the hotel. I don't have to worry about paying for tickets. I don't have to worry about gas. I don't have to worry about the lines to get in. Like, I have the best view in my living room on my 65-inch TV than I will have the nosebleed that Brian Denny. To answer your question directly, last year, if we're talking last year for me, for Florida, Utah, or would I rather have watched that game at home and that be the only game I can watch, I would have rather been in the stadium. Um, and I'll be honest with you, the, the reason that I, I say that 
is because even when Florida is on, I'm watching my team. I still have other TVs going because when Florida goes to halftime or Florida goes to commercial, I want to be able to look at my other TV and be like, oh, this game is on. I'm still keeping up with what's happening across the country. If you take that away from me and tell me that I can only have one TV going, then yes, I would rather be in the stadium. And I was I was watching Florida, Utah on my phone last year, not in the stadium. I was sitting at a concert in Duluth at Gas South Arena, and I can tell you that while I did have a good time at the concert, because I know my cousin's going to listen to this episode, so no, I didn't not enjoy the concert. <laughs> but if I would have had my choice, yes, I would have rather gone to the Florida-Utah game because of how awesome that game ended up being. Like, Because that was one of the great games last year, especially in week one. The crowd was hot for Billy Napier. That was the eventual Pac-12 champion. So, yes, I would, I would rather have been in the stadium for that. So I'm the same with Georgia-Tennessee last year, which was the biggest game for Georgia last season. I would have rather have been in the stadium than watch it from home. It ended up being like mostly a beatdown, but still, just the, being there, being able to say you were at that game, like in that kind of atmosphere, I think it's it's more uh, it's it's you, the memory's better. Like you, you like we watch every game from home. Like I watch probably you know seventy five percent, probably fifty percent, give or take, from sitting in sitting on my couch at home of the games. So being able to go to at least one game where it's that big like that, I'd say, I'd say uh, in the stadium. But I wouldn't go to every game like Georgia UT Martin week one. I'd rather watch from home. Oh, you'll have the opportunity to do that this year because you are a Georgia season ticket holder. Well, let's let's not season. not a season ticket holder. I just so happen to oh. get tickets for face value. <laughs> you have games. You have you have tickets to I every do. home game. Excuse me. Excuse me. I do so, nosebleeds, but I do have tickets. He'll be there in the visitor section, but I do have tickets. You'll have the opportunity to be there. So you know, uh, I expect to see you at Georgia versus Ball State week two. I will be selling those more than I'll either be in Nashville that weekend or I will be in Statesboro for the Georgia Southern game. I haven't decided yet. All right, my last one I've got here. The biggest thing killing college football isn't NIL. It's not realignment. It's commercials causing four-hour games. Disagree. Disagree. The thing that's killing college football is NIL. It's the transfer portal. And it's conference realignment, which all three kind of go hand-in-hand because the universities have taken college football and changed it from an amateur sport to a literal semi-pro sport where there are money payouts with no contracts. There's no guarantee. There's a lot of schools that are actually getting some uh, brushback now from some recruits who are reaching out to former players that have transferred out and been like, hey, like, why'd you leave? I'm really interested in going there. And they're being told, like, well, I was promised that I was going to get one a million dollars, and I got 30000 up front to commit. I committed. I signed my uh, national letter of intent. And then I got like $50,000 more all season, so I left. That's a problem. And it's stories like that that are continuously coming up. There has to be something. College football is no longer what we all fell in love with when we were kids. It's a completely different entity now. It's it's always been a business. But And maybe it's just me being an adult now that I realize it more. But I feel like... Even without me, like the the kid in me always saw college football as 
the greater good and these are student athletes and that's what they're there for. They go to school and you could go sit in class with Brody Croyle or you could go have a, you could sit down in class and you're next to AJ McCarron or Mark Ingram or Derek Henry. Like that kind of stuff could have happened whenever I was a kid in my mind. Now everyone knows that they're not going to class. They're doing the bare minimum. They're taking online classes and they're driving around in Bentleys and BMWs on campus and they can leave whenever they want. There's no loyalty to school anymore. There's no pride in it. So the people who actually have pride and loyalty in the sports program that they follow the most and they love are the people that are the most indebted to it, literally because they spent money out of their pockets to get a degree from that university versus the athletes that played and laid their their bodies out on the field for the school. So I halfway agree and I halfway disagree. Um, I'm not the kind of person that think – I don't think NIL is ruining college football. I don't think that – the transfer portal is ruining college football. I think, yes, I think conference realignment plays a part in ruining college football. But my biggest thing is there are people behind the scenes in college football who have become so money hungry and so focused on the lack of tradition, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like tradition. What's killing college football is that tradition is being taken away from us. Um, and by tradition, I mean geography and what made college football great. Like 2007, 2007 very well almost had Kansas, Missouri, West Virginia, you know, South Florida. Like these were the schools that were in play for the national championship. And we're never going to see that again. And regardless of what anyone will try to tell you, you know, that, oh, the 12-team playoff and, and this expanded playoff and, and conference expansion and realignment will bring more of that. No, it won't. Um, and it's people behind the scenes who are making those decisions who have convinced the general casual public of college football that this is good for the game. That's ruining the sport. You know, I was okay with the 14 playoff. I, I thought it was pretty consistently got it right every single year that we've had it. If I could have one disagreement with the college football selection committee and all the years that we've been doing it is I don't think Notre Dame should have gotten in in 2020, um, especially after they got waxed by Clemson in the ACC championship game. I believe A&M should have gotten in, but that's not what, you know, that's not what the discussion is about. But, you know, playoff expansion and conference realignment, like California – Oregon and the state of Washington playing in a Midwestern conference doesn't make sense to me. Um, Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and kind of taking the the Mid-South and the Plains away and then the Big 12 going to get a school out of Florida and Ohio and Utah and now Arizona. I don't like it. To me, that's what's ruining the game. We're losing our traditions. Um Look, the SEC had to expand, and you lose things like, just as an example, like Ole Miss Vandy. Not that that's a highly important rivalry in the sport of college football, but losing that game, and honestly, we probably might we probably might get to a point where is Florida and Florida State going to be a thing anymore? Is Georgia and Georgia Tech going to be a thing anymore? Some of these out-of-conference rivalries that you have naturally with the geography of the game are being taken away and the people who are behind the scenes making these decisions 
in trying to in convincing people in the public that these are good for the game is ruining tradition and ruining tradition is what is ruining college football because tradition is what makes college football so great. I'll be honest. I don't know if you could just completely ruin college football, but you're ruining the college football that we grew up with is kind of the main thing. And for me, it's honestly more so conference realignment more than it is anything. Um, And, uh, and with everything that's going on right now, it's like, like what, what even is a conference anymore? I mean, you got the PAC 12 that's pretty much dead in the water. People keep throwing out random scenarios where like they might bring in some teams from the mountain West and become a super conference again. Like someone put out one the other day with them adding like, Fresno State, Boise, uh, I think one was like Nevada. They're like, this right here is would be a top conference. And I was like, you're a, you're an idiot. How how would this be a top conference? Like like Fresno State and Boise State should probably be in the Pac-12. They probably should have been in the Pac-12 a long time ago. But are, are they teams that are going to compete for a national championship? No. When's the last time a Pac-12 team won a national championship? Was it 2007? Or not 7, 2004 with USC? I'm pretty sure that was the last one. USC 2004. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. 2003, 2004. Washington made the playoff. Washington made the playoff. 2016. 16. 16. And then, yeah, and Oregon made in 2014. There's only two teams from the Pac-12 to make the playoff. So, so far. We might get a team this year. We'll see. The Pac-12 wasn't competing before. You lose the four best teams you have in that conference. And, well, really five. Well, Utah, because Utah went to the Big 12, right? Or it will be going to the Big 12. It's just so bizarre to me that... These schools have let college football be the driver of this, but they haven't even taken into consideration the smaller sports that are going to feel the reap the negative effects of this. Because, like, in college football, all right, so, you know, you miss a Friday class, so be it. You have to fly out from L.A. to, uh, you know, Piscataway, New Jersey for to play Rutgers and, you know, your UCLA. So be it. You take a Thursday and a Friday, you miss. That's That's it. But baseball doesn't get that. Baseball is going to have a lot more issues. And guess what? The travel budget for sports like baseball and softball and golf's a little bit bit bigger, but baseball and softball in particular, their travel budgets are a lot smaller. So we've, we've got to the point where school administrators have put college football above all and have made it the driving sport, driving factor of college athletics as a whole which is why like, I kind of feel like old man yelling at clouds when I say all this stuff. But I do think that we're going to get to a point where college football is going to be a separate entity from the NCAA as a whole. The NCAA has already lost control. But we're going to get a college football commissioner. It's going to be a league that is semi-professional where players can decide whether or not they want to get a degree while they go. That's essentially what it's going to become in my mind. All right. Let's not dive too much into conference realignment because we're going to go through it a lot in the next episode. Three teams this week. We have the end of our, not the last episode, but the second to last episode of our SEC prediction series we've been going through. Uh, and this week we have Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU. And first we have Tennessee. So, boys, you want me to go through my schedule first or do we want to talk about Tennessee first? Wit, wit, do your honors. Go through your schedule and then let's talk Tennessee. Okay, well, here we go. So, for Tennessee, I have them going 10-2, and 6-2 and two in the SEC. I have them beating Virginia week one, beating Austin P week two, beating Florida week three, sorry, Chad, beating UTSA week four, South Carolina week five, A&M week six, 
losing to Alabama at Alabama, getting caught up by Kentucky in week eight at Kentucky, uh, beating UConn, beating Missouri, beating Georgia week 11, and then beating Vanderbilt week 12. So 10 and 2, 6 and 2, finishing second in the SEC East. I also put down Joe Milton wins the Heisman. So Tennessee is who wow. you had beating Georgia because I remember you said Tennessee, wow, is, I, Tennessee is who I have beating Georgia. So I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I don't see them beating Georgia personally. I think Georgia is going to become the thorn in the side of Tennessee that Alabama was for many, many moons until last year. Uh, but I agree with everything else that you're saying. Uh, Joe Milton being the starting quarterback this year, I think he's going to have a massive year. I think that he is hyped up and rightfully so. Um, the one thing with Tennessee that I think is a question mark is losing Jalen Hyatt. Like I think that's a massive loss for them on offense. That's a weapon who the Alabama game seemed to awaken the beast. And then, like, outside of the Georgia game, and may, I think he even had a big game, the South Carolina game, too. Like, he was he was an animal for them at receiver. Uh, he opened up the field a lot. Him and Hendon Hooker seemed to have a really good connection. I think Josh Heupel has Tennessee going in the right direction. I hate to see where, where Tennessee's going, but Tennessee, to me, feels a lot like what Ole Miss, the hype that Ole Miss had uh, in year two of Matt Corral with a little bit easier of a schedule minus Georgia. Uh, so I think 10 and two is very fair for them. Uh, you know, I, there's maybe the Florida game could be a surprise on them just because it's in the swamp. Uh, and high pulls offense doesn't seem to do as well on the road as it does at home. Uh, a la Georgia last year. So I would disagree with you guys on one front. I pretty much agree with everything Matt just said. Um, I think Josh Heupel has the ability in the way that he draws up offenses and the way that Tennessee's been recruiting to take some of these young receivers, even with the loss of Jalen Hyatt, and make explosive plays, keep that offense moving the ball down the field and and just hit you over the top without you being able to stop it um, at will. Uh, Joe Milton, from everything I saw from Joe Milton in the Vanderbilt and Clemson games, and and more so the Clemson game, because I put a lot of stock into that game for Joe Milton, because that was the real Clemson team. Cade Klubnick started that game. That was the team that absolutely waxed North Carolina in the ACC championship and probably looked the best that they looked all year against North Carolina, and it almost kind of looked like a Clemson of old, that what they were supposed to look like. So that was a big win to me for Tennessee. And the way Joe Milton played in that football game says a lot to me coming into this year. Granted, he stays healthy. We're banking this all on health. We're not taking in injuries in, into consideration. Um, but the one thing, and I agree with you, I think Tennessee is going to be uh, Georgia's loss. Spoiler alert. I agree with Witt there, too. When we get the next episode, you'll hear it. But I do not think Tennessee will lose at Kentucky. Uh, I think... And I don't even. Th- I think Matt has a point that that we could be a little bit maybe of a trip up game in the swamp. I think it's a possibility, but I don't think that we're going to win that game. I think Tennessee is going to be better at quarterback play, um, and I'm not so sure that I trust our young secondary to be able to stop Tennessee, um, even with the home crowd behind us. But 
I don't think they're going to lose at Kentucky. Like we're going to talk about Kentucky. Like Devin Leary, Devin Leary is going to be a force. Devin Leary is going to be an absolute force. But I just, I don't think Kentucky has the receivers on the outside, even with as good as Devin Leary is, to be able to beat Tennessee. And obviously, we'll get to that game and we'll pick it later on down the line. But like looking at it right now. Everybody wants to do this with Kentucky every year and build them up to be some kind of threat, and I don't see Kentucky being a legitimate threat to what Tennessee can do on the outside. And I have Tennessee at 11-1, and Tennessee is your SEC East division champion. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I would not be surprised if that happened too. I mean, Georgia didn't lose a ton, and we'll get into Georgia, obviously, so I won't talk too much about them. Uh, that'll be for next episode, but... Tennessee, I mean, the one thing you can say about them is what Matt just said. They lost Hendon Hooker. They lost um, their top receivers, Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt. But they also have Squirrel White coming back, who looked phenomenal against Clemson. They have Brew McCoy, who was their, I think he was their number two receiving threat last year because Cedric Tillman was hurt for most of the season. And they bring back Ramel Keaton, too, from Marietta, Georgia, who's a pretty solid receiver. I think he was their number five or six receiver last year. But for a five or six, he's really solid. So now he's probably going to be a three. So they're still going to be really good. Um, I think Heupel, in his system, you have to play like Joe Milton did the first time he was the starter for the system not to work. And by that, I mean you just have to miss receivers because guys are going to get open. Like glory to Hendon Hooker, who was a phenomenal quarterback when he was there last year. But Joe Milton, when he was the starting quarterback, he just could not hit guys. And you saw last year when he was in, he was hitting guys. He can throw the ball along. He can move in the pocket. Um I think he's going to have a really good season. A lot of people think he's really overhyped. I feel good about him coming into the year, especially in Hypo's system, because I just think it's a can't-miss offensive system. Uh, and they bring back 8 of 11 starters on defense, even though the defense was terrible. Um, you got the third year with the defensive coordinator. Uh, I, I, just, I just think they're going to be improved. I think it'll be a tough game against Georgia. I still think Georgia's a better team than Tennessee, but playing in Neyland Stadium, you saw what happened to Alabama last year. I think Alabama was a better Tennessee than, or a better team than Tennessee was last year. And they lost in that stadium just because of how crazy those fans are, how that atmosphere is. So uh, I got them 10 and 2, finishing second. Um, I think they're going to have a trip up game, same as last year. So we'll keep rolling. We can use that to roll into Kentucky, though, because I got Kentucky right behind them. I got them finishing third in the SEC East at 9 and 3, 5 and 3 in the SEC. Uh, I got them beating Ball State week one, then beating Eastern Kentucky, beating Akron. Winning at Vandy, beating Florida at home, uh, losing to Georgia at Georgia, beating Missouri week seven, beating Tennessee week eight in an upset, beating Mississippi State in Starkville, losing to Alabama, losing at South Carolina, and then beating Louisville. So nine and three, pretty good season. Um, I like where they're at. They return a lot of really good guys, and they get Devin Larry, who I think is a really solid player and honestly better than Will Levis was at, at Kentucky. So I think they're pretty good. So, I agree, obviously, and upgrade at quarterback. I don't think it's any secret that I made my feelings known about a guy who couldn't even beat out <laughs> couldn't even beat out Sean Clifford when he was at Penn State, and that's all I'll say about that. Because Will Levis is gone from our lives, and it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, but I agree. Start out four and zero. Probably start out five and zero. I mean, I want to have this belief that that Florida can win that game. I think we can win that game. But, again, Devin Leary probably going to have better quarterback play than Graham Mertz at this point. And we're coming into Kentucky off of, you know, 
okay, we got UNC Charlotte the week before, but we've still had to had to go to Salt Lake City and then face Tennessee and then go on the road to Lexington. That is pretty tough. Kroger Field, very underrated place to play. I will give you that. So I've got Kentucky at five and zero. Kentucky's going to lose to Georgia, and oddly enough, Kentucky always. If you look at even the Vanderbilt game last year, I think Kentucky's going to lose to Missouri at home. Um, Missouri. If you remember that game from last year when Kentucky went into Columbia, uh, Missouri blew that game, or I can't remember. It was something that had to do with like a roughing the punter that wasn't a roughing the punter. I'd have to go back and look, but. But Kentucky barely squeaked by in that game, and it was another one of those games where you look at Missouri's season last year, you would think, my goodness, like Missouri had opportunities to win football games. Um, but I can see them losing to Missouri. I really can't. Kentucky usually slips up like that once a year. Uh, and then I got them losing to Tennessee. So you have them, I have them losing three straight. Um, Mississippi State's not going to be easy. I can see I got them winning on the road in Starkville. But then, yeah, they're going to lose to Alabama. South Carolina, I would call a toss-up game. That's usually a very good game between those two teams, and it's in Williams-Price. So, I, for me, I think the most realistic thing for Kentucky is let me count my losses here. Georgia, Missouri, Alabama, South – I'm going to give Louisville a loss. I'll have them winning at South Carolina, but I think Louisville is going to be a much improved team, and it's in Louisville, and Jeff Brom is going to come back to win that game. So I've got Kentucky at 8-4. and four. I think 9-3 and three could be their ceiling. But if you want to take Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Florida as all toss-up games, I could see a floor even with Devin Leary at 500, 6-6. Six six. Yeah, Kentucky every year has this kind of hype around them. And for me, they're uh, believe it when I see it kind of team. Uh, last year, for example, they came into the year highly expected to be like, you know, the one of the top teams in the SEC East. They were okay. Uh, they lost the game to Ole Miss that is kind of surprising. That uh, I really think that they had a lot of opportunities to win. There was a lot of hype around Will Levis for his NFL draft stock. I think Devin Leary is an improvement. The defense for Kentucky is going to be what wins them games this year because their defense is outstanding. If, if there's anything that the strength of Kentucky is not so secret of a weapon, then it's defense. If they're going to win games, they're going to be low scoring. They're going to have to make teams play ugly. I just don't see Kentucky being as in a 9-3 and three team. I think that they're going to be an 8-4, and 7-5 team just because it's what Kentucky is. I think what a lot of people are missing about Kentucky is the fact that they bring in that Ray Davis from Vanderbilt too. Number four r- rusher in the SEC. He had over 1,000 yards last year. Honestly, he was the reason Vanderbilt was even decent at the end of the season. Um, and Vanderbilt came away with wins over Kentucky and Florida at the end of the year. So bringing him in is going to be huge, especially after after losing Chris Rodriguez. Uh, they bring back, I think it's seven of 11 starters, including J.J. Weaver, who was one of the best players last year, plays outside linebacker. I, I think they're going to be solid. Kentucky's always got a really good defense. They bring back Liam Cohen as the offensive coordinator, who was great for them when he was there. So that's why I think they're going to be improved. That and Devin Leary, who I think is going to be really good. They bring back all three of their best receivers from last year, who were not super great. But, I mean, for guys at Kentucky, they were good, and they'll, I think they'll improve in week or in uh, year two, so nine and three, third in the East. I see it coming. So for our last team for this episode, we have LSU Tigers, SEC West. 
LSU, I have them going 10 and 2, finishing second in the SEC West. Uh, I have them beating Florida State in Orlando, opposite of Florida State beating them in New Orleans. Uh, I got them beating Grambling. I got them beating Mississippi State. I got them beating Arkansas. I have them losing to Ole Miss at Ole Miss. I have them beating Missouri, beating Auburn, beating Army, losing to Alabama at Alabama, and then winning out against Florida, Georgia State, and Texas A&M. LSU, man. LSU, to me, they've, they've – I feel like they kind of overperformed last year. They took advantage of schools like Texas A&M, uh, who ended up beating them late, like Texas A&M being down all year. I think LSU kind of overlooked that. Uh, Arkansas game was a really close one that they ended up coming out on top on. Alabama was a really close game at home that they wound up winning in overtime. Uh, to, to me, LSU, yes, they bring back Jaden Daniels. And I think that that's a huge, huge piece for them. Uh, and if he progresses, like we kind of saw a big step in the right direction for him last year. And I don't think that there's going to be much of a regression for him. Health, I think might be a little bit of a concern for him, but overall, like LSU to me is a, I feel like they're getting all the love and a lot of people are picking them to win the West this year yet again over Alabama. Um, I, I feel like they're getting a lot of, of love in that regard. So for me, I'm going to say LSU is probably going to sit right around that nine and three mark again, like they were last year. Um, you know, they've got a pretty favorable schedule. Uh, they get Auburn at home. I think Auburn's going to be improved, but, they're going to Death Valley. Uh, I do. I do think Alabama gets a, a little bit of revenge uh, from last year, and you know, depending on the defense, LSU is just a very interesting case to me. I, I, I think they're a nine and three kind of team that could have even a, another hiccup where they, you know, floor to me is eight and four ceiling is uh, potentially undefeated. I mean, I think they could go twelve and zero uh, if if. They're as good as the hype around them. Uh, realistically, I think they fall somewhere in between that, like nine and three, or ten and two. I'm gonna have to agree with Matt. I, I very well, very well could see four losses on the schedule if you really boil down to it. You know, you start out in Orlando at Camping World against a very hyped up Florida State team. That's the Sunday night before Labor Day to kick off the season. That's a huge game, and you know that could very well go either way. Um, when I go down, when I go down LSU's schedule, you know, if we're going to go with the floor, I think those losses come in Orlando to Florida State to start the season. I think the other one's going to come at Auburn, uh, or excuse me, at home against Auburn. I think we talked about that when we did the Auburn preview. Um, Auburn with Hugh Freeze is going to be that. He's going to get that sneaky win somewhere. You just know that they are, and I think that's going to be where I think that's where it's going to be is at LSU. I do think Alabama gets revenge especially in Tuscaloosa. In fact, I have a sneaky suspicion that Alabama might come out and just step on their throat and, and not let off the gas because that is exactly what happened in 2020 <laughs> after the 2019 win. Alabama always seems to respond. But, you know, and if you're going to find another loss in there, I guess you could find it at Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss, LSU, that's one of those low-key rivalries that not a lot of people talk about. Ole Miss is going to have a lot of experience at the quarterback position. 
And, you know, they've got three really good options, no matter – well, I say really good options. They've got three solid options at quarterback, no matter which one that they're going to throw out there, whether it be Jackson Dart, Walker Howard, or Spencer Sanders. Uh, Jaden Daniels, is, he's good. And Nussmeyer behind him showed last year in the SEC title game that he's got a lot of potential and a lot of talent. Um, but I'm going to go 10-2. and two. I'm going to go LSU loses to Auburn um, at home. Auburn sneaks up and gets that win. And then I've got a loss at Alabama on the road. Alabama gets revenge. So they're going to go Auburn loss, Army, bye week, and then Alabama. I think they get both their losses in the span of uh, four weeks. And they're going to go 10-2. and two. But, again, I agree with Matt. They very well could – very well could be undefeated at, at 12-0 and 0 and have a big, big year, including winning the SEC West and being in playoff contention. Yeah, my thing with LSU, I think a lot of people are looking at them with bringing back Jaden Daniels. Everybody's going, all right, they're bringing back all these guys. This is the same team as last year. They're just in a different SEC West. Uh, this is just going to be a better team. And so everybody's picking them to win the SEC West because they won it last year. But you look at LSU last year. And the, the games they won, they don't really have that many good wins. Like, I mean, the SEC West was really tough. The fact that they won the SEC West is huge. But you have what I would consider a mostly down Alabama last year. I mean, they were good, but they weren't the Alabama of old. You had barely beaten Arkansas. You only beat Florida by 10 in a year where Florida goes 6-6. Six and six. Like, you're, the wins you have are not great. You lose by, I think it was 15 to Texas A&M. You get boat raced by Georgia in the SEC championship. But then they have, and then you get destroyed by Tennessee at home also. Like, they they were a good team last year. Let's not act like they were terrible. But they, uh, I mean, they weren't as good as I think their record said they were. And the fact that they won the SEC West, it's it still doesn't, to me, I don't think they were that great. So, coming into this season, Jaden Downs is good, huge guy to bring back, but they lose a ton of starters on the offense. They only bring back Malik Neighbors, who is really solid at receiver. Uh, but besides that, they lose everybody else. They bring back Harold Perkins on defense. Besides that, they lose like everybody. Like there's no one on that defense you look and go, oh, thank the Lord they brought that guy back. It's just Harold Perkins, who's one of the best defenders in the country. But unless they have drastic improvement from guys that were backups last year, I don't see LSU being that good. I know I have them going 10 and 2. I think that has more to do with I think the SEC West is going to take a little bit of a step back this year just because of some losses and some of the bigger name teams like Arkansas and Ole Miss. But even so, like, I just, I don't know. LSU is a team that I could see them going 10 and 2. I could see them going 8 and 4, and it wouldn't, it would not shock me whatsoever. So I, I got them going 10 and 2. I think they're going to finish second in the West. Uh, Nah, we'll see what happens. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Rowdy Southern Saturday. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Music and follow our social media at RowdyPod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Rowdy.